You're listening to the Spandex Power Armor Podcast. Too fast, too serious. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Spandex Power Armor Podcast. I'm Rex and with me is Carmen Ranger. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good, pretty good, can't complain. Fantastic. This week we're following up from last week's episode where we looked at some of the great men behind Godzilla 1954. Which mm-hmm. ones did we cover last week? Well, we were looking at um, producer Tomoyuki Tanaka, director Ishiro Honda, and suit actor Haro Nakajima. Nakajima really went through a lot, didn't he? Honestly, there has to be some kind of degree of masochism going on there to be able to, you know, endure as much. I mean, like, I swear I've heard that he nearly drowned um, in one scene in, a, in in the original Godzilla, like a, like a waterlogged suit, something like that. You're not dedicated to your job unless you're willing to nearly drown and set your crotch on fire. I think they should do that in every job to prove loyalty. God bless that man. Just have massive layoffs in Walmart. It's like, you know what, screw it, I'm not doing this if I need to set my crotch on fire. Just set your pubes on fire, you can keep your job, do it. Here's a lighter, just do it. (laughs) The jackass method of employment. (laughs) Oh dear, we were supposed to be nice and serious this time. That is serious for me. Yeah, this is about as serious as we can get. And so before we go into the other two great gentlemen of the movie and of Showa Toku overall, Eiji Tsuburaya and Akira Ifukube, I'd just like to remind you this podcast is sponsored by TokuToyStore.com. Yes, sir, you've got toys. They're from Toku. You can buy them. And next week they're going to have a, a big activation for, for new products. So if you're, if you're not too sure if you want to buy something yet, just wait till next week and buy a bunch of tap then. Yes, I, I swear all of our promos are just the same concept over and over again, slightly reworded. Well, there are only so many ways you can make the same thing sound funny. Eventually, we're just going to be uh, reusing sound clips from previous episodes. Yeah, I, I'd never make a good pitch, man. All I say is, consume, buy. We try our best. <laughs> Feed the capitalist beast and also support a, a lovely small business. <laughs> we're talking about us with the support business, right? Well, until we start selling our own things. <laughs> I'll start selling my toenail clippings. Maybe at this point in recording, they might be worth something. Maybe, maybe. Maybe after episode 50. It's like, oh my god, Rex's toenails. <laughs> you can see those on Taku Toy Store. <laughs> like a, like a, like a <laughs> Godzilla figure made of toenails. Oh, no. oh, did you see the one made out of uh, cockroach shells? Oh, that one was amazing. Yeah, right? It made like a... Was it... Was it Heisei Godzilla they did? Yeah, yeah, I think so. That was really impressive. Really weird, too. I mean, of all the things you have lying around to make a a model out of cockroach shells. I mean, that really just says more about the environment of the man who made that than anything else. (laughs) He just just had so many cockroaches running about, like, you know what? I can make a model out of that. Just something Dale Gribble would do. Like a Japanese Dale Gribble. (laughs) A Japanese Dale Gribble would be something. Japanese King of the Hill in general. (laughs) <laughs> Why was there never a spin-off of that Japan episode? Well, I mean, King of the Hill is already a perfect anime. It's a slice of di- life dad anime it as is. opposed to a slice of life schoolgirl anime. <laughs> we need that in our lives. And so anyway, we're going on a bit of a tangent. We've a pointed bit. it out ourselves, so the alarm will not sound this episode. Aha, we've defeated. We've gone through the promo, and now we'll cut into the meat of the matter. Mm. You know what everyone loves? Eiji Subaraya. Also yep. known as that guy behind Ultraman. But oh before he did Ultraman, he was involved in Godzilla. Ah, before he was involved with Godzilla, though, he was involved in propaganda. Ooh, tell me more. Well, before he was, in, he was uh, involved with Godzilla, he was also involved in uh, propaganda movies. And even before that, he was involved in uh, toy production, actually. He worked in an R&D 
uh, department for a toy company. Okay, toys, then propaganda. Th- wasn't this a Robin Williams movie? Oh. <laughs> did, did Super Raya predict drone warfare? God, I'm, I'm, I'm having no, I'm flashbacks, boy. Don't, don't make me go back there. No, uh, yeah, he worked in R&D, and as a kid, he uh, enjoyed making model airplanes and stuff like that. So we're, we're already seeing a background in uh, you know, a love of miniatures and things like that. But did he stomp on them while roaring? Well, I know I did. That's where all my Warhammer figures went. <laughs> Worth it. And they succumbed to the might of Rangerzilla. <laughs> Boom. This is what a Titan does. <laughs> Screw your blast templates. So he went into uh, into films, and uh, a lot of his early uh, work, a lot of his good early work, was from uh, well, during wartime. And he produced a film in which there was an extensive sequence recreating the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Ooh. And uh, when people watched it during the American occupation... They thought it was stock footage taken by the Japanese military. It was that good? That good. Wow. Mm. But unfortunately, um, during American occupation, uh, Tsubraya and his crew, uh, there was not much work for them because of their, the stigma attached to working in wartime propaganda movies. Yeah. And, you know, with, with the whole that. American censors going on. So uh, afterwards, though, um, as I said in the previous episode, Honda had worked with him previously in a movie, and this is really kind of where um, Subriya bounced back and kind of reignited his his career. Uh, he, I think there was about four hundred um, special effects guys working on oh, this. Oh, crikey! I think like on a temporary kind of part time basis. And Subrai was really the only one there who knew what he was doing in terms of special effects. Like, he'd pioneered some stuff in his previous movies, and in Godzilla, he pioneered a lot of his the techniques that he'd used, you know, subsequently. Like, uh, I think he was the one who really wanted to do um, stop motion. Like, uh, he got his passion for film from King Kong. Oh, okay. Hmm. And, well, not unlike Ray Harryhausen. Oh. who went on to do Mighty Joe Young, of course, which was heavily inspired by Kong. And um, so that's what they wanted to do initially, but they didn't have the time and didn't have the budget to create these you know, tiny, tiny models and these poseable figures that could endure you know, repeated use, stuff like that. They, did, they just couldn't do it. Just stick a bloke in a suit, it's cheaper. But he did finally get his wish in um, King Kong versus Godzilla because oh. you do have, uh, I think it's one or two very brief segments where they do have uh, stop motion. It's when, uh, it's when uh, Godzilla does like a Gorosaurus kangaroo kick and stuff like that. So he did manage to do that. But um, after they settled on suitmation as a technique, uh, Tsubraya just just went to town on creating all these new techniques to use it. And I think the world is much better off for it. That's fascinating, actually. And he was also known as a, a huge um, perfectionist. Like the uh, the Ginza set from um, what they used in, in Godzilla's Rampage. Uh, it took 30 days to build. And when Subraya first saw it, he was like, nah, that's crap. Wow. Yeah, tore it down. Build it back up again. Like Gordon Ramsay of Tokusatsu. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the bloody pyrotechnics? <laughs> Just, what are you? Some of the stagehands are on fire. <laughs> what are you? I'm an idiot bento. You're an idiot bento. <laughs> idiot bento. Okay, I can now just picture when Akira Takarada walked into the Godzilla set and announced he's the main character. <laughs> he just Superaya charges in and says no. <laughs> just terrifies him. Yeah, goddamn pieces of shit. We're playing with little bloody bits of toys here. We're not. You know, this isn't a game. You bloody. B-
<laughs> I, I can't do torrent of filth. I, I can't do a Gordon Ramsay voice. That's the best. I mean, it's like it's like when an American tries to do a uh, an English accent. That's all I can do with Gordon Ramsay. Bip, bip tally ho, no, bangers no. and mash. Well, it's that, and you've also got the. All right, mate. All right, you golf. what, mate? <laughs> you what? Smash your face in, mate. That's my life. We 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 managed to be tasteful the first episode. It's okay. We we have to get the sillies out. But I'm <laughs> but, surprised at how much of a stickler for detail he was. Oh yeah, yeah, he was. Um, people actually kind of were kind of scared of him, but it was also very well respected. Like he was um, kind of like a Stanley Kubrick type, you know? Did they call him Reiji Subaraya? <laughs> No, they did call him Oyaji, which means uh, old man. So, oh, okay. yeah, he, uh, he he was known as a perfectionist, and people were kind of uh, people were kind of worried about him. But they also respected and liked him. I mean, you can tell that he was the kind that would get angry at little things, but not without reason, you know. Okay. Uh, he uh, had a career with Toho for about sixteen years, I think. Oh, crikey, that's quite a long time. Mm. So when did he branch off and do Ultraman? I'm talking as a complete pleb who <laughs> didn't really read any biographies of Subaraya. So uh, Subaraya Productions was founded in uh, in '63, and then '66 was when Ultra Q and Ultraman um, were were brought in. And, okay. And that was the uh, I think that was the first live action show to be kind of broadcast around the world. Oh right. Mm. So it's, uh, I definitely think that Subriah was, you know, in the right to kind of split off from Toho. Like, he still did work with Toho. Oh, yeah. In fact, they borrowed a lot of suits from Toho lots. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> poor Barragon suit. Oh, it went through a lot. paint the poor thing in <laughs> Destroy All Monsters. One of the uh, the more kind of intense scenes to, uh, for him to create was the uh, the train scene in the original. Oh, yeah. Which uh, was very hard to time because they, they had to time both the uh, the foot coming down, the explosion going off, and the train hitting the foot. And it all had to be done in one take, otherwise they'd have to make the, you know, make the trains again, that kind of thing, do it all over again. And the, the chief special effects uh, camera operator, uh, Sadamasa Arakawa, uh, had to kind of lie down on his front and kind of pan across manually, all that kind of stuff. And uh, after he filmed it, he was really paranoid because he thought like there was a um, a light stand had been caught in the shot. And then when they went over the dailies uh, the next day, he was just bricking it, just kind of yeah, because <laughs> he thought he was going to get fired by Subriya for it. But it turns out that it was all okay. That kind of tells you the kind of um, how much of a perfectionist uh, he must have been to have that kind of uh, effect on people. Wow, we celebrate how great he was, but he must have been a nightmare to work with. I don't think he was so much of a nightmare, otherwise he wouldn't have like an affectionate nickname. But I do, I think he was very intense to work with because the special effects guys worked insane hours on this movie to get things right. I mean, if they'd just done how much they were actually contracted to work or kind of cut corners, the movie would have been, it wouldn't have been oh. released. Like they worked insanely hard on this. It set their crotch on fire multiple times to deal with it. <laughs> no, they had to do that to uh, to prove their loyalty to Sabriah. Burning the midnight bush. <laughs> but uh, a lot of people who worked on this were um, kind of held on afterwards to kind of become yeah the kind of in-house um, special effects guys like um, Sadao Izuka and Takao Yuki who um, created the effect the uh, the dorsal plates and the the beam. Oh right. Hmm. And uh, they used a very kind of crude rotoscoping in that they uh, kind of inserted kind of bits of cardboard with the drawing on because well, it's, it's all they had to work with, really. Well, isn't it actually rotoscoping the beam? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, they, they created wow. those effects. That's cool. Mm. And they became the, the top special effects artists at Toho as well. But, um, I mean, a lot of buildings in, um, like, uh, in the scenes wouldn't give them blueprints to work with. 
So they had to go out and manually measure them themselves. Oh, wow. And then scale them down. Yep. Same with bridges, stuff like that. Like um, the bridge Godzilla breaks. Um, one of the blokes there spent all day measuring everything. And only then did the guys at the council kind of think, oh, we, we found the blueprints. Sorry. Oh, sod's law. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think it was Subriya, Honda, and a bunch of other special effects guys were like on the roof. I think it was. I uh, remember when Godzilla smashes the theater. Not off the top of my head. Well, it was. Uh, it was. They were in that area, and they're on the bu- top of the building. I think it was a supermarket or a, a mall, and they were talking on the roof, like, "Yeah, no, okay, so we're going to set that one on fire. We're going to blow that one up." <laughs> the security guard overheard them and called the police. Wow! And they were they were kind of detained and very almost arrested because they thought they were plotting some kind of insurrectionist. Um, terrorist attack See, i'd love that if they were doing the same thing for the new godzilla film like with legendary <laughs> just on top of a building in america saying okay we'll blow that one up that one that one <laughs> oh, they end up getting like a full-on cavity search Honestly, i really wish i could have been a fly on the wall when they were explaining that no no we're, we're filming a giant monster movie and we're gonna have a dinosaur built break in these buildings yeah please believe my god <laughs> oh that must be Wow. They, they they go through so much for their art. But then again, they pioneered a lot of it. You can't really have the baseline to work on unless you have the sort of crap they went through. The realism they went to as well was insane. I mean, this is part of the reason why critics at the time hated the movie, because it was so evocative of not only the uh, the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but the fire bombings that they'd suffered beforehand. Oh, yeah. In fact, to be honest, the footage of the fire bombings I've seen like in history classes and stuff... That seems to be sort of worse. The fact that they just firebombed mm. all the cities. I think I think the death toll for the firebombings is either equal to or might be slightly greater than the uh, death toll of the nukes. Crikey. But the Japanese really had a rough time at the end, at the tail end of World War Two. Yeah, they started with the bad guys, but damn. As in, the, the US just floored them. Oh yeah, and honestly, that wasn't the worst plan they had. There was... um. The uh, uh, plan B was to have a full-on uh, land invasion, which would have actually um, had a, a much higher death toll than the nukes. Wow. The, yeah, I mean, the issue... I mean, we're getting a bit off topic here, but the issue wasn't the uh, Japanese citizenry or even the military. It was the uh, the guys running the show at the top that just kind of refused to back down. Ah, uh, curse their honour. It's the same reason the Klingons lost so many wars. Remember after Godzilla's initial rampage, and it has that panning shot of the destruction? Oh, yes. I mean, that looks like it was pulled straight out of, like, uh, newsreel footage from uh, Hiroshima or Nagasaki. Wow. Was that footage also used in the American cut of Godzilla 54 in the beginning, when you've got that weird voiceover by... Oh, Raymond Burr? Remember. Yeah, Raymond Burr. Uh, no, no, it was used in the cut of Godzilla Raids Again, along with... Um, Oh, no, no. <laughs> no, sorry. Um, no, they, they didn't reuse that. They reused uh, these stock footage of um, b- b- uh, nuclear tests in the South Pacific for that stuff. They reused those in the uh, the 98 American one as well. All right, okay. Yeah, so if you watch the two of them, it's, it's the same nuke footage. 
someone somewhere is saying, therefore, they're both in the same continuity. They use the same stock footage. A pish posh. No one's yeah, going to say that. Everyone hates like, 90 Days. It's 98. like the same people who say that St. Elsewhere connects oh, so many no, shows. St. Elsewhere theory. Yeah, the St. Elsewhere theory. It's just one highly imaginative autistic kid. Just looking at a snow globe. Yeah. And you know how they're all connected? Sometimes it's just a brand. Hell, Aliens is in the same universe. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, It started because St. Elsewhere had a crossover with like a couple yeah. of other shows. And because of those shows and then things like that, like Wayland Yutani is yeah. in, is into that in a show that connects somehow. That means Alien, that means Predator is. If you go by comics, somehow. that means like Terminator. It, it, it's a whole thing. It's awful. It's great. <laughs> I, I, I almost love it. I, I just want a St. Elsewhere maybe cinematic com- universe. Yeah, no, like, like a comeback some- special on Netflix where it just has so many cameos from different universes. No. No. Just have the Terminator knocking at the door. <laughs> what? Anyway, back on topic. <laughs> and it, it, it's interesting to note that after um, Subraya's death, uh, that Godzilla films actually started underperforming, um, commercially at least. Like, I'm not... Um, I mean, by that point, I don't think he was actually working on Godzilla films anymore, but it is an interesting thing to note. Well, that, that's quite sad, actually. Yeah. In fact, was it when Subraya died that Nakajima... Yeah. Oh man! Yeah, that is just a shame, isn't? The guy was so important. Absolutely, still, still is. I mean, like, like you said when we when I first showed you that um, Mega Monster Battle movie, that surprise special effects tend to be of a, a separate class. You know, definitely much better. Oh yes. And rounding off our uh, what is it, Quint Quintet? Quintet, yeah, the legendary duet, Army of Five. Triplet. Quartet, quintet, yeah, quintet, quintet. Yeah. So running off our quintet is Akira Ifukube, and actually that quintet thing kind of mo- kind of fits into this because it's music. Yeah, but I don't think there was a time when all five of them would maybe perform together. That would be amazing if they just <laughs> sung like to, did an acapella of the bum, theme. Bum, 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 bum. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> and then Super Eye would be like, "No, you screwed that up." Oh, 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 he's reaching for the kazoo. <laughs> Help, help me. Oh no, it's happening. Um, why did I keep the kazoo in I'm view this time? the second coming of Ifukube. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think he died like a, a year or so before me. I could well be. That's probably a valid conspiracy theory. Is Carmen Ranger secretly Akira Fukube de-aged? <laughs> uh, still waiting for those theory channels to pick that up. <laughs> Wait until we get some semblance of popularity. Yeah, it's okay. We'll just need to... Rip. We'll, we'll do clickbait titles. <laughs> you won't believe how many people died in the filming of Godzilla. <laughs> Hint, it's zero. <laughs> yeah, because stunt actors aren't people. They're just disposable clones. Yep. Well, they're, they, they, they're actually they... clones of Nakajima. <laughs> No, no, they were left over from the uh, the Imperial Army's um, effort to create uh, their own Superman. Oh, yeah. I think I think Danger Five had a whole episode on this. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Sorry, Ifukube. Well, um, Akira Ifukube's music is absolutely synonymous with Godzilla. Like, you can't have a Godzilla film where they don't bring at least one of his songs oh, back. Oh, yeah. You've got the long, slow brass. You've got something that says mm. "Big Monster." 
Yeah, it's it's beautiful. And if Akube actually was responsible for Godzilla's roar as well. Oh, yeah. Wasn't it that he... Was it a glove pulled across a bassoon? Yeah, leather glove. Uh, not, not a bassoon. Double bass. Double something bass. Like some string instrument. And then like, slowed it down. Slowed it down. It kind of manipulated it a little bit. But that, that was it, yeah. Because uh, the Foley guys were all like, you know, oh, let's just get some lion roars. Let's get some other kind of giant animal noises. But they couldn't... You know, they were going all ends and sideways. tried every combination. But they couldn't... Um, make it sound like anything other than a giant, you know, that, that animal's roar. Wow. So if Akube said, oh, mush, you know, what are we trying to do in this weird thing? Let, let's try using instruments to come up with some kind of sound. And they settled on the glove and a double bass. It's really unearthly, wasn't it? Mm. Especially with the original recordings. You could tell that it was, like, the actual source of it. They improved it in later Showa movies. But, oh, in the, in the first mm, one, it, really it was unnerving. so disturbing as hell. Especially when you just see the intro to the film and you just hear that. Yeah. It's like that is no terrestrial animal. But he also used uh, instruments to create a lot of other sound effects. Actually, uh, he's responsible for the sound effect for Godzilla's um, footsteps. Oh, the big thudding ones, like boom. boom. Yeah. Boom. Uh, a couple of years before, um, he'd accidentally stood on an amp, and like, a, like a, an old 50s amp. And it had made like a kind of booming noise. And... Um, when they were throwing ideas around for sound effects, that kind of um, popped back in his mind and recreated it for the sound effect for Godzilla walking. Okay, how many toes did he lose? I'm guessing the old, <laughs> old era amps of the time were like stepping on a Lego, but 50 <laughs> times worse. Like I said, he's absolutely integral to the series, just like the others. Uh, he was a self-educated classical uh, composer, and um, it was really difficult for him to find work. Oh, okay. Um, because there wasn't really much call for composer at the time. So a friend of his said, uh, have you tried uh, scoring movies? Like a bunch of other friends of his said, you don't want to do that, you'll end up getting typecast. And um, he ended up being typecast because he was uh, Toho's top choice for uh-huh. their sci-fi movies. Still, and but he made a name for himself. Absolutely, and he was pretty okay with it. Uh, he did score um, some dramas and samurai films at the time and did, um, worked in anime too. He has a very um, distinct um, sound to his music, I think, and that's because he uh, of the unique approach he took to it. Uh, he melded uh, traditional Ainu um, music Ainu? with... Ainu is uh, the uh, the indigenous uh, peoples of the Hokkaido, of the island of Hokkaido, where, where he grew up. Okay. There's about, I think, official censuses, uh, um, says like 12,000, something like that. Uh, I think there's I think there are some in, uh, in Russia as well, but like... Uh, in unofficial estimates kind of place at much larger populations, but there are just a lot of them that have integrated into Japanese society so much that they don't really know their heritage anymore. Oh, that's a shame. I know a lot of cultures are trying to reclaim that. Mm. Hell, even some parts in mainland China, they find their own Mongolian roots. I've seen punk bands from nice. people trying to bring back old Mongolian themes from uh, the culture into mm. the music. It would be nice if they did something like that in Japan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there is this very strong Ainu um, kind of. I mean, they've still got their traditional robes, stuff like that. They're they're, they're still there. They just shot on sight. <laughs> but no, he uh, yeah, he melded Ainu um, music with more Western uh, sensibilities, and it created a very um, very unique sound. I think. Oh, definitely. So mm. we're talking the whole score, as in like some of the music as well, and that little dance that they do. But I, I'm talking. Uh, I'm talking. In his music in general. Oh, oh Like in okay. all, all of his music, it is an influence of both Western and Ainu. Wow. I really wish I knew that before recording. 
Have you ever made a man so depressed with puns that he regresses into a kazoo playing state? You hurt me, I hurt you. Well, no, seriously, that is quite fascinating how he merged the two styles to make his own thing. Hmm. For how long was he scoring movies? Oh, lordy. Uh, his last film that he worked on was uh, Godzilla vs. Destroyer. I think he was like in semi-retirement up until then, though. Okay. I can actually hear a lot of things from If It Could Be In It, especially, I think, during Godzilla's death scene. There's this one that started... No, oh. it was from the intro. It started with a really harsh brass thing. Mm. That was a that was a really good one. It invoked a lot of yeah. the spooks. <laughs> now, he is great at mood music. Remember the scene uh, with the fish in Serizawa's lab? Oh, yeah. With the um, the awful um, violins just kind of oh, being scratched across. That, yes. And then it ends with that big kind of piano boom thing. Like, that is... He also... Um, he, he worked well with silence as well. Oh, okay. Like, uh, like when Godzilla's about to strike the, the electrical wires and you've got people kind of stood on them, like kind of filming him, like the news guy... Just kind of just he knows when to use his music and when to kind of leave it out of the movie. It's I think it works really well. If he lived on into the twenty first century, he might have duped some indie filmmaker by making a soundtrack that's all silence, and he could have said something about it being significant or symbolics. <sighs> no, <laughs> they're, not, they're not silly. His name. <laughs> oh, it's like it's, that's like the Yoko Ono of Ifukube. <laughs> Yeah, his uh, his music often tends to be quite brash and harsh, especially in Godzilla. But I think that really is what makes it um, so so suitable for these uh, Japanese sci-fi movies. Oh yeah, it's very um, unearthly and unnerving at times. You can't make something that's subtle and traditional. Mm. You've got to go for something that defines the genre. Absolutely, and he did define the genre. I do know he avoids quite um, Western conventions, but I am not a, a music man, so I. Could not tell you specifically what they are. I've just heard people talk about them, and yeah, we, we I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do music. Uh, I do movies. It, it sounds good. We, we like it. Sounds weird. Ranger like. Him Ranger like. clap. Yes. We both clap. My God, I think if it could be, he's turning in his grave just to hear us two <laughs> morons. Like, oh great, we we like his music. We can't point out the differences between Western and I know, but yeah, yeah, we like him. <laughs> And he's just like, those bloody weeaboos. <laughs> those rotten weebs. Uh, it's, uh, but no, it's... I remember the uh, the, the choir scene. I, yeah, what choir scene? I remember after Godzilla's initial rampage, you got that whole kind of montage of all the crap left behind. Oh, yeah. There's like 2,000 high school girls there just singing. It's And he conducted that himself. Like, wow. Imagine how much of a pain that would have been. Uh, was he like, also as strict as Subaraya? Has he like had all of them wired <laughs> into some sort of electrocution thing? Just zapped him if they missed a note. <laughs> I mean, just he must have had the patience of a saint. I mean, like 2,000 bored high school students. <laughs> <laughs> Single, you get zapped. It's the only way. No, I think that's a Mike Pence school of um, of choral. <laughs> Ooh, topical. Connecting. Yeah, I, I can do political humor too, guys. I, uh, I'm talking uh, about Trump has hair. Lel, le orange man. Wall. That's uh, that's half of our uh, audience gone, and that's the other half uh, clapping mindlessly. Woo, politics. And well, that about um, wraps up our retrospective of. Um, of each of them, and I think uh, I think I'd like to just take a moment to kind of appreciate the legacy in general. I mean, these these five men 
together created Godzilla as a I mean I know people say that film is a collaborative art form and it really is if it's a if it's a film with a heart but with uh, Godzilla I think it's a bit more than that at this point it's a cultural icon not just for Japan but but globally, everyone knows Godzilla. Everyone's aware of great big lizard monster stomps oh, yeah. on cities. It's there. It's in the zeitgeist. Same I mean, with yeah. stuff that branched off. Same with Ultraman. Absolutely. People can recognize it. It's like, oh, it's that Japanese thing. Yeah, I it's mean, hell, he was there. in uh, Ready Player One. I mean, Mechagodzilla was in the book, apparently. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and I mean, every, every well, a lot of major countries have um, Godzilla knockoffs. Even we have Gorgo. Uh, North Korea has Pulgasari. Uh, is, it, is it Finland that has Reptilicus, or is that... Denmark. It was somewhere in Europe. O- yeah. Only Nords would think of something like that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there are plenty of, of rip-offs, and I think that just goes to show how iconic he is. I think in the West, uh, we definitely need to appreciate these, um, yeah, the individual men behind the monster a lot more because we just usually think of, of Godzilla. You know, uh, we don't really... I don't think we properly appreciate, um, you know, the scores of, of Ifukube, the special effects of Subraya. The amount of effort they put into it. Absolutely. And um, I think it's a, a good way to, uh, to appreciate these chaps. I think we should go through, like, our favorite thing that, they've, that each one has worked on. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. First off, we'll start with Nakajima. I'd say my favorite Nakajima role is, well, as Godzilla, in Godzilla vs. Hedorah, because it's a bit further in in Showa, and I know it's not the favorite movie, but it's one of the ones I grew up with, and to me it's just the way that he acts Godzilla. sort of shows emotion in the god-awful arm gestures, and Mm. just in acting everything really as in it's hard to explain it's like how, how do I, I don't know body language of a guy in a rubber suit i just love the way that he gave it a personality yeah my favorite role of nakajima is in stock footage in final wars oh oh you <laughs> no i liked it in um Ghidorah the three-headed monster you know um you know the bit where um where rodan and godzilla are just messing around and just being dicks to each other you mean the one where he dances no 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 that was um the other one. Yeah, yeah, no, that was... Um, that, to me, the two were just merged. Well, it's no, yeah, yeah, it was uh, Ghidorah 300 Monster, which had, which had Mothra in it. And then, then it was, was Astro Monster. Yeah, uh, yeah, Invasion of the Astro Monster, there it is. But no, it's when uh, when they're messing around, like uh, when Mothra um, squirts on both of her um, silk stuff. I just like the um, the way they managed to get personality with those two monsters. It's it, I, just, I just like it. Like, we got Godzilla laughing at Rodan when he gets his. It's, it's funny, it's funny. Ah, like it. it's oddly slapstick. Yeah. It's a bit like the Three Stooges. Okay, um, you're making me want something that I know I'll never have, so stop that. Also, that's a very, very aged reference that no one would really want. Except what do you mean? For... Vaudeville's pretty f- popular, right? Yeah, yeah, same, same with Blackface. <laughs> that's why all those Korean performers do it. Oh, they do, don't they? Yeah, that's really weird. Do you reckon it's a racist thing, or do they just not realise? Oh, no, it's a lot of um, blacks living in Korea do complain about that. They huh. just don't listen. It's like, nah, we're, black... we're best Korea. Black people live in, in Korea? Yeah, <laughs> I'm so surprised when I see someone not Japanese in a Sentai episode. It's like, whoa, Whitey. Actually, yeah, that right? is kind of cool sometimes. Oh yeah, Richard Brown. It's strange how out of place they look. Oh, absolutely, like you have to take a double hit. Like, hang on a sec. You, you, just, don't look, you don't look right. You just want to point your finger at him and scream, Gaijin! Whitey! <laughs> White devil! <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, that is fun. actually it is quite rare to see a black guy in Taku. Oh yeah, last one I remember was uh, it was in Drive. I think I uh, played one of the uh, roid mutes that came over from America. Yeah, that's where there were like only five black guys in Japan. Oh yeah, 
And but they have to travel all up and down the country. It's like, okay, this they're TV constantly show in demand for like bit parts, <laughs> and so they're traveling up and down the archipelago. Uh, they actually make quite a decent wage off it, but the transport costs are insane. So they barely break even as it is. It's like bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> they end up living in all the commuter areas, or just they they live on the train, and just hope that <laughs> it's like set up a nice sleep. Do Shinkansens need sleeping cars? Probably not. I wouldn't know. Yeah. Just imagine that, though, like Shinkansen's with sleeping cars, just bullet train, people still trying to sleep on them. Tell them that I don't know what a Shinkansen is. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I need subtitles. Translators note, Shinkansen means plan. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we've gone through our Nakajima bests, all with regard to acting as a monster with a personality, not just the big, slow stompiness. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not that his other roles were bad. It's just that that's the one I, I, I prefer, you know? Yeah. He has, he has a lot of great roles. It's Nakajima, who, you know, I mean, Guy Ray, that's a pretty close second for me. Yeah. Moving on to Ishiro Honda's uh, filmography, I think we're going to limit this to um, sci-fi and monster stuff, just kind of keep it relevant. Yeah, we'll stick with the one thing that he was just stuck with, rather than the normie trash he did. Ray. But no, uh, I'd say my favorite would be would be Godzilla. Um, it's a pretty normy plebeian choice. Uh, Rodan's a close second, but I think Godzilla is probably his magnum opus. I think that's the most solid, most hard-hitting film he's done. I'm going from my own childhood nostalgia here. I'm saying Destroy All Monsters, because that, to me, was a great movie. It's one of the first Godzilla ones I watched, and it was just like, okay, here's all the monsters. Every monster. <laughs> In. Boom. It's good. It was fairly well directed. It had a decent sci-fi plot. And... and yet he doesn't like Final Wars. Well, I did like Final Wars. Just <laughs> I just didn't like Final Wars and Gyrus, because he looked like ass. You look like ass. Good thing I've never sneezed in recording them. I mean, he's got a, he's got a pretty solid uh, body of work. I mean, I still want to watch Atragon. I'm just upset that Honda and, uh, oh, Kurosawa didn't oh, do anything. Man. Uh, well, they did do something, oh. but they just never did a Godzilla together. Um, remember, um, Honda went and was uh, an assistant director on a lot of his films after retiring, kind of. You know what I really want for some sort of Monday Netflix original thing? Go on. Seven Samurai versus Godzilla. Oh, damn. That would be even it, more depressing than actual Seven Samurai. Oh, that would be so amazing, accessed in some sort of radiation-damaged wasteland. <laughs> oh, that would be good. <laughs> Rashomon versus Mothra. <laughs> Ooh. For, uh, for Tomoyuki Tanaka, it, it's hard to uh, pick out a favourite thing he's been involved with, mainly because he's been involved with a lot, but also because as a producer, um, well, he doesn't really have that much influence that's obvious. Yeah, you know? if anything, he just funds it and says occasional things like, whoa, too much panties, not enough panties, too much thrusting. For me, at least, I appreciate him overall in terms of filmography yeah, because generally he say. brought a lot. Well, he was the main man behind uh, Toho's sci-fi in the Showa period, and that's entirely respectable. And you know, God bless that man for that. Yeah, let's just say his best Showa sci-fi because yep. he helped define it. Yeah, along with everyone else. It's really not a great tribute we're doing to him, but he just did so it, it, much. It's hard, like I said, for a producer. I mean. Yeah, he did Godzilla, you know, uh, up until uh, Godzilla vs. Destroyer, you know? Yeah, just so it's much insane. involvement. Like, I mean, I think he might be the one that's involved the most consistently, because he got, you know, Godzilla, uh, King Kong vs. Godzilla. I mean, this is just kind of bits I'm picking out. Um, All Monsters Attack, Megalon, 
Terra return. Would you say Vylante. that for every member of the original Godzilla team who died, Tanaka grew stronger? He grew richer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he only died because Nakajima escaped the fate. It definitely seems like, um, like I said, the most consistent with it. I suppose that's because producer just needs to get funding. Like stamping, Actually, yes, done. Is that what a producer... No, I don't think I've spoken to anyone who actually knows solidly what a producer even does. I've seen the producers. It's something to do with Nazis. Uh, what, what, what even does an executive producer do? Well, they no have more knows. money. And they can just blackmail people into like, well, how about you do this? And I'll keep, I'll keep funding the movie. I don't know. <laughs> Get in the Ghostbusters movie, Murray, or we'll make Harold Ramis do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's going to be our most recurring reference we ever make. Uh, moving on to uh, Ifakube. Uh, for Ifakube, I think we're going to do a favourite song here. Yeah, because he's got so many soundtracks. Score. I mean, his soundtracks are generally pretty solid. Uh, I'd say my favourite is the uh, the military march. Uh, I think it's, it's either that or, of course, not the special defence force yeah. march. Oh, the one that went to, was it? Do, 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 Rex took the kazoo, do, 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 It was for your own good. That was quite a good one. It definitely said military. I don't much care for it as like a, yeah Monster X march. Oh, oh, they got that guy from Emerson, Lake and Palmer to do a cover of that in Final Wars, which I didn't actually hear in the movie. But no, I really do like it in uh, the original and in Shin Godzilla. A bunch oh, it was in Shin Godzilla. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it comes up like twice. And the last time is when um, they've loaded a bunch of trains up with uh, explosives oh. to kind of stumble him. And it's playing when they're uh, putting in their pl- final plan. Because basically what they're doing is they're knocking him over and then shoving a bunch of um, you know, fire hoses down his throat to fill him up with cadmium. That's charming. Dobson? Dobson? Uh, uh, so, for me, I'd say this goes back to because, hey, I was sort of a Showa Heisei kind of guy. I'm never quite sure what it's called because sometimes it's called like the main theme or others, the Godzilla March. Yeah. And it sort of like goes do 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 do. Oh, yeah. That's... People listening to this are like, wow, he did the whole thing in one note. <laughs> that sort of thing. It, it To me, it just screams, yeah, Godzilla. Yeah, it's that and the other uh, main one. There is no dog of wisdom in this oh. podcast. But yeah, that was also it's great. Those t- it's those two themes one. that are definitely the most iconic of Godzilla. Yes, whereas your suggestion, it's I like not, it. not so much generic, but it's it, it, unique, but it doesn't scream Godzilla. I, I, I don't like it for any particular artistic reason. I just like his, hey, it, it's fun. I like it. it it's yeah, it, it's quite, even in the original Godzilla, it was very optimistic because it played at the point where the ship was departing. Yeah. Good stuff. Really helped define the mood in the scenes. Oh yeah, and that kind of verse, it's it's like a, it kind of sets it up for a big fall when oh we did nothing. And lastly, we have A.G. Tsubraya. Rex Ultraman, just Ultraman. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he was so great with special effects for everything. He had a lot of the Godzilla effect done, mm. sorted amazing. Yeah, he cut his teeth on Godzilla, yeah. Ultraman. But yeah, yeah, he just then produced Ultraman and used all of his knowledge to make something that was fantastic. Yeah, as in, it's just the apex of his achievement. I'm going to agree with you there, Ultraman. Uh, I was talking to my uncle um, a while ago. Uh, my uncle is actually from Japan and grew up with Ultraman and stuff like that. And we, we uh, were talking about how 
the episodes of Ultraman did not feel so much like uh, maybe the episodes of Kamen Rider or Super Sentai at the time. They felt more like mini uh, Toho sci-fi films. Actually, yes. I think I at one point I started binge-watching Showa Ultraman, and it genuinely felt like a tiny, localized yeah. kaiju movie. Take any one of those episodes, and you could expand it into a decent film. Yeah, especially the Belton one, the first one. Oh, yes, definitely. In fact, every time I watch that, I'm thinking... They spent so much money on a suit that's only visible for just a couple minutes. Mm. And thinking, that is sort of film grade at the time, considering how it was Showa. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think it's um, a testament to his skill that he could make something on a much smaller budget than the films, obviously, look so great. And we'll definitely brush over the whole Chayo thing. Type A suit, notwithstanding. (laughs) Actually, I'm trying to remember the Type A suit. Was that the one with the moving mouth? That's the one with the mouth I was supposed to move, yes. Ah, the one that just nudged slightly in one direction. Honestly, I like to think of that as being like Ultraman kind of still kind of recovering and kind of reforming himself from... He's kind just of slurring fusing. his words. Maybe, maybe it's for the best that they sort of... Maybe it's a sort of telepathy that they just use rather than speaking. Oh, I think in uh, I think in like the first episode, maybe I actually did like a CGI moving of... Um, um, father of Vulture's mouth. It was weird. Oh my god. Yeah, I, I don't much care for that. CG blinking is bad enough. Yes. That's a little bit off topic, but yeah, it's good to appreciate Subraya's contributions to the world. And that about wraps us up for for appreciating these uh, these chaps. These fantastic men who bless them. It's... brought about the birth of Godzilla. Yeah, I mean, few people can really kind of claim to have created such a cultural milestone, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's got to be on the headstone, surely. Oh, yeah. That's what I'd do. If I had created a movie that was part of the cultural zeitgeist 50 years on, I'd have that on my gravestone. I'd, I'd have a full-on model of Godzilla. So you'd want something like Bob Kane there, the guy who made Batman. So saying something, something so... <laughs> God bestowed a dream upon Bob Kane, blessed with divine inspiration and a rich imagination. Bob created a legacy known as Batman. Wow. Introduced in May 1939, uh, blah, 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 blah. It goes like five paragraphs on a tombstone. I swear to God, if anyone did a Bob Kane biopic, that would have to be the intro narration done by James Earl Jones or Morgan Freeman. (laughs) Just saying that it was divine inspiration that led him. That is some egotistical stuff. That is some Sonichu level ego. Yeah, the funny thing is, oh. Bill Finger actually was not credited as being the co-creator of Batman for years, so this wow. is really kind of a, a bit of a kick in the teeth for the poor chap. Bloody hell, Bob. Yeah. I wonder if there will be in future more plaques or something well, commemorating these guys. I'd imagine there already is. I haven't seen one, but I'd imagine there would be. You'd I'd love to be. commission a statue of that. In that photo of Nakajima half in a Godzilla suit, so he looks yeah. like he's riding one of those horses. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, just a statue of that with that big smile. Mm. Just, yeah, I think a suit actor deserves it because, honestly, if you survive that long as a suit you actor... a statue. Oh, yeah. You, you've gone oh, through everything. What about that one of uh, Subraya kind of pointing at Ultraman kind of behind the scenes? <laughs> I mean, hell, if, if, if Walt Disney can have a, a you know masturbatory uh, statue of himself holding Mickey Mouse's hands. Sabriar at least deserves that. Well, you know? Telling off Ultraman, you little... <laughs> yes. Listen to me, you little bitch. I'm, I'm surprised there aren't any proper Ultraman statues. I mean, there is the Kamen Rider thing and the Go Ranger one. But, well, I'm, yeah. I'm certain there must be. I'm there certain I've seen one. 
Maybe some collector has one in his manual or something. It's like, oh, what's his name? Del Toro. Oh, man. See, if I had the money, I would be the Taku equivalent of Del Toro. That would be so cool. But then Del Toro would have to out-Taku you. So you'd be fighting over Nakajima's remains and both searching for <laughs> the Shinomori's afro. Actually, remember when Pacific Rim first came out? Oh, yeah. Um, they had this thing with, like, uh, I think it was Maker Studios. So you had, uh, I think... Like a couple, like a bunch of YouTube stars. So you had like the Game Grumps. Uh, I think one of the guys from like Completionist or something. And they all kind of got together to make like a little, uh, little Pacific Rim film. Like they all made the suits and stuff like oh. that. And Del Toro was actually in the kaiju suit. Oh wow! Yeah, really neat of him. Oh, I, I love that sort of geek. Yeah. I mean, see, people like Del Toro will define kaiju movies for this generation. Well, although it can be argued that Del Toro is just making an homage to it, because Pacific Rim was his love song to the whole kaiju genre. Mm. Well, I mean, I st- it definitely still deserves recognition. I mean, at least in the West, it'll uh, define... Mm. It'll be definitive, I'd say. When it comes to bringing back kaiju things, like in a serious sense, Shingotola probably had the best idea in making it political, mm. in just having some statement rather than just the old monster defeats other monster narrative. Oh, yeah. They've got to add some sort of metaphor, some deeper layer to it. Kind of like uh, Return of Godzilla in '84. Yeah. I, well, it wasn't so much of a metaphor as it was a um, very kind of political lampooning of uh, Cold War. I'm just waiting for Japan's heavy-handed <laughs> Trump thing. Maybe maybe it will just be some sort of like Gabra-like thing. <laughs> I don't think Japan much cares about Trump, actually. Yeah, well, still, maybe some satirist will make it. Hmm. If there's some sort of Japanese version of Saturday Night Live that doesn't involve reaction shots of women oh, watching man. guys having their nipples pulled off while slamming a door or something. Oh man, why why do they do that? It's like having a let's play for a for a TV show, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it's so meta. It's people watching people watch TV. Actually, we've got that in the UK. It's something called Gogglebox. Oh, you're watching no. people watch TV. Lord Almighty! It's further proof that we live in a dystopian future. <laughs> Ah, and yeah, that was an interesting tangent we went on, but that's all we can say about the wonderful five, the men behind the monster. Absolutely. Uh, I deserve all the uh, excessive love I've given them over these two episodes, I think. Yes, I think they're all so worth the seriousness that we've put into this, and they've defined so much. Hmm. They've given us so much, and... Well, we can't really say any more, so I think we'll have to close this episode for now. If you've enjoyed us, you can comment on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, uh, Smoke Signals. And even if you didn't enjoy us, please still comment. We love hate mail. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of hate mail. We're going to print them out, on, have it on t-shirts, wear it to cons. It's going to be the best. It beats a spam comments. Yes. And so if you've enjoyed it or if we've missed anything, just tell us. We can chat about it another time or we Absolutely. can make some we can make some video where we profusely apologize for not mentioning one role of Nakajima <laughs> and then just like get on the ground and commit seppuku. That that'll be our final episode. <laughs> it's the only way uh, we can end. And we'd also like to remind you this episode sponsored by TokyoToyStore.com. They've got a big reveal coming up. Stay mm-hmm. hyped. Yep, keep checking them up next week. And if you want to stay something else, this is Rex signing off. Stay fabulous. Keep on riding, folks. <laughs>